Welcome to Live Let Thrive, a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live Let Thrive. What's up, Micah, man? I'm chilling, Stevie Stacks. How you doing? I am doing pretty good, man. Pretty good. It's been a hectic week. Uh, well, hectic couple weeks. You know, Lupita had knee surgery. My wife, Lupita, had knee surgery. So I've been, I've been mom, dad, and ter- caretaker at the house, and plus, you know, working full time and trying to run a business. You know, it's been, you know, you know how it is. You always got a thousand things going on. So I, I know you feel me. Living that life. <laughs> But it's worth it, right? It's worth it's, it in the end because we're 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 doing something. We're advancing, and we're that's what it's all about. It's about living, letting, and thriving. Yes, sir. And we are on episode. This should be episode one sixty three, correct? Yes, sir. Of your favorite Airbnb, VRBO, home away, real estate, share economy podcast in the world, and coming at you from Fort Worth and Arlington, Texas. What it do? What it do? What it do? What it do? And we have a special special guest on the show and his name is bruno Villaseca, or it says on the screen Villaseca, but you know in spanish you would say Villaseca. so bruno Villaseca is on the show and he's gonna blow y'all all away with his um amazing um amazing thing that he's doing for to help people keep track of the of the most important thing in your uh, short-term rental journey is the is the money is the cash flow so he's gonna show us how to do that Give it up for Bruno. What up, Bruno? How you doing? Hello, hello. What's up? All What's good up? here. Nice. Thank you so much for the introduction. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for hopping on, man. Um, where are you exactly? Right now, I'm Berlin. Berlin? Yeah. Oh, nice. What are you doing Germany. in Berlin? What are you doing over there in Berlin? Uh, well... Actually, not that much with this pandemic. I'm just working, <laughs> but hopefully it get passed on soon so I can actually do some stuff in quite an interesting city, no? Yeah, it's a beautiful city. I hear. I've, I've never been, but I, Germany's nice. Um, so quickly, let's dive into it, man. Uh, what got you started in the short-term rental industry? Um, well, that has, um, that has to do with... Um, me starting back home i'm from chile south america so i started um i started my studies there uh as an industrial engineer and well while i'm started my 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 career it started with an american company it was a startup back in chile Mm -hmm. um and they they were doing long-term um at that point but they decided to to, to just give it a go to shorten rentals, right? Uh, with a new division in the company. And then this this very cool dude, serial entrepreneur BJ, I was the boss in my time. He just decided that I was a good candidate. And um, after, after some interviewing, I was hopping on into that um, big project of the new division of the company. And, and I was... Um, in charge of the whole project of the new division, and I started doing uh, the the new units and stuff. 
uh, always with the engineering and uh, analytics background uh, as an engineer, right? Mm. But then I decided to go a little uh, um, more into it because I think just the industry has so much to give and it's not new, but also not that, that, that mature yet. There are still many things coming and I just got involved into it. Um, and then I just like uh, keep developing like uh, new experience and skills. Um, I, I moved from that company, but many things happened there. So like, <laughs> um, how do you want to proceed? Do you want just like a, uh, a whole review of uh, how I got into the industry and where I am now, or you want me to develop further into that first stage? Yeah, yeah. So did you get your own rentals or you were just managing for other people? How, how did it work? Well, actually, it started kind of there. You know, I got very interested about this, uh, uh, about this business. And I'm like, well, the, these numbers are running kind of cool and uh, I want to give it a go. So I, I, I'm a numbers guy. So let's run it, right? Mm. So I got this partnership with this Argentina guys, uh, my investor. And we, we started to, to give it a go. And actually, things were going pretty, pretty well. And, well, at that time for the company, I started doing what I'm doing right now, which is my own project. That was the, the very beginning when I, when I started pretty much like handling around because I was aiming toward performance. And I realized that one thing is running the unit and another thing is like optimizing everything to make that unit profitable. And that's where it all started. So I started running every single number I could as a numbers guy and started to doing all these KPIs and um, optimization for it. And that's where it happened. I had the first version of what I have right now as my own project. And um, it actually turned out very well because numbers went super good and um, things started to go up very fast at the company. So we started to just like, keep getting new units and new units and new units. And at the same time, I just got this investor and I jumped in with my units as well. Okay. Question for you. Cause you touched a key. You said a key word that I love. You said KPI. <laughs> what, what right now do you have? What is one of your KPIs right now to, to let you know that you're going to keep a unit or let a unit go? Um, if I have to pick just one of them. Yeah, just one. Hey, this KPI right here, this unit ain't worth it. Let it go. What's, what's one of them? Can I, can me, I, before, before you do that, can you, can you explain what a KPI is to our audience that oh. might not know? Great. Yeah, it's, uh, well, of course, uh, KPI or key performance indicators mm -hmm. are that specific number you want to you, you wanna take a look at. It's the insights of a business. So if, if, if let's just keep it simple, if that number is running well, it's a good indicator that your business is probably going to do well. That's why they call it key performance indicators. So depending on the industry, you will have different KPIs. Um, and let's say for hotels, for example, they uh, dig, dig very deep on the, um, they dig very deep on the ref, a rev bar, mm -hmm. um, but uh, it depends on what you're doing. Specifically for short and rentals, to answer your question, 
for me, it has a lot to do with the occupancy. That's super important, uh, but there's no such thing for me as just one of them. Like they really need to be mixed. So um, uh, there are plenty of things to do and insects to look at, but occupancy is like one of the first things I look at. I, I look at the occupancy of, of that specific area and I look at the occupancy, the potential occupancy of a unit. Now, which is more important, rev par or occupancy? And can you also explain what rev par is for the audience? Very important. Yeah, it, well, rev par is for the hotel industry uh, revenue uh, per available room, right? So it's pretty much the total revenue that can come into you per all the available rooms you have to sell in a certain time period. So, like, the more rev par you have, the more um, money you're bringing in pretty much to that uh, hotel. Uh, in, in the case of, of short-term rentals, it acts kind of similar. Um, I run it per unit and as a whole. So uh, you can subdivide per areas as well if you want to dig specific on a certain location. For example, if you have some units in Texas or some others in like North Pacific West, they are going to behave different. So like maybe in order to compare with the same, uh, um, you know, units, your competition, you can, you can just like see those inside for specific locations, but more or less it's, it's just like an overall, the more, the better, right? Mm -hmm. Got you. And you said you have units. What part of Texas are you in? Do you have units? Oh, no, no. I, I personally don't have units in Texas, oh. but, um, but the the guy that's my boss right now, um, I'm I'm working at Elevate uh, Travel. It's um, it's a very interesting project that's growing now. Uh, we're getting ready for this pandemic to be over. We started in pandemic. We are a young startup. Uh, where we have under management more than 500 properties. Um, but the owner, a very interesting dude. Uh, Derek, he, he has many, many uh, units all over Texas. Uh, he has 40 plus units right now at this point, and he's expanding very fast and uh, he wants to move to other uh, places in the U.S. as well. Uh, I just named it Texas randomly because of that. I personally don't have my units in Texas, but I do um, have to handle some of them or some information related to them. So, so what kind of units does he run? I mean, you said he has like 40 in Texas. Like, does he have uh, a part? Does he get apartments? Does he get condos? Arbitrage. Get... It's just arbitrage in, in Dallas, uh, pretty much. Really? That's where we're at. Um, so like, but I know it's arbitrage, but like, what kind of, is he doing houses or just doing apartments? How does he get, how does he get them? Well, um, um, most of them are, houses um and soon in the future then there might be some like multi-family i i'm not sure um because like it, it's on development but um um it's just like very into the business 
um, I just started to 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 work closely with him after the the business just like started. So uh, specifically in terms of, of the contracts, I am not um, just close to that. I'm more in the performance area. So like if you ask me, how is he getting them? Specifically, mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you that information. So, so can you tell me one thing? Um, you spoke of rev par and it's like uh, revenue you know, per unit or whatever, or however you're explaining it. So if he has houses, I would think, okay, one house is going to generate you know, a certain amount of revenue. Is, does he ever split them up in like four or five different rooms to, to maximize that, that rev par or whatever, whatever it's called? I know many people that's doing that. Uh, not specifically, these are just like entire place uh you know units mm. but but I, I know that you can max maximize things um it just changes a little bit operational wise when you do that um but uh i don't know how recommended is that because i, I do not have a experience like subdividing a property it might be very optimal in terms of like incrementing your your revenue of course but also, it might bring some other um, uh, problems as well, you know, like mm. having different people in the same place. It's just like operational wise, probably a little bit more of, of a pain. Uh, and also like you can, you can bring more, like, you know, when, when you're subdividing, you have to like sub rent for less money. And um, I, I'm all into like the Facebook groups as well. Like just all, always reading the news about the industry in different places in the U.S. And I know that when when you're going cheap sometimes, and it has this has happened to me as well with my business, you get really bad guests sometimes. So mm -hmm. it it I don't know. It depends on how the business model you want to run. Sometimes aiming towards the most revenue is not the best if you really want to have a healthy business. I guess. Seems like you have to have that middle ground. When you go too high, you get the people that are just pests. And then if you go too low, you get the bottom of the barrel. So you kind of have to have that middle ground. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And also, um, I've found like uh, some things are very interesting because um, proportionally, occupancy and revenue are inverse. So if you're going higher uh, on, on your price, you're going to have less occupancy, but you're going to have higher quality of guests. And, and, and that's really going to like even think sometimes because at some point, if you're doing very well, your calculations, you might have some vacancy at the end of the month, but maybe your revenue is going to be intact with less headaches. Mm. So it really depends on how you really want to run your business, but that, that's kind of like risky. You really got to know uh, your area. Uh, demand's got to be quite high in order to be able to do that. But if you really run the numbers, some analytics, and have some some backup information, let's say you run uh, some good research on RDNA and you really watch close your competition, and, and even on just looking at your area Airbnb, you might be able to do so. So, and I have a two-part question to this because you, you brought up something really very important that a lot of people don't look at is revenue versus your occupancy rate. Do you find it better to, hey, have a lower occupancy rate and more revenue or take a little bit of the dip on the revenue and just have a high occupancy rate? Uh, well, it depends. There, there's mm -hmm. not, no thing such as like the best answer for that uh, as a whole because before pandemic was hitting, 
I was running into my business, not 100% occupancy, but very high rates at night. So it wasn't a problem. But then after pandemic, demand is pretty low outside the U.S. I know that U.S. internal, uh, like local demand is really high. So actually short-term rental business is not that hit as people were really like, um, they were really afraid of this, right? But then it turns out that it's not that bad, actually. Like, like nights are, are being sold. Hotels are a problem, but not for short-term rentals. It's not that <laughs> hit as people was actually thinking. And markets such as like Mexico or the US are really killing it. While mm. others, such as let's say Europe or Chile, where I have the units, are really, really, really having a bad time. So what I had to do is I had to lower my ADR, the average daily rate, in order to have full occupancy. Now I'm getting 100% occupancy at very low rates, but then I'm, high, I'm selling high volume. And that's the only way to actually survive the first months of the pandemic. Now it's getting better, but you have to play with it and see what's your surrounding, what's your de local demand. What's your real demand in the area? Some projections here and there, but it depends on the situation you're you're at. See, that's what I love, man. Because I mean, you actually do the the research and do all the math to it. Whereas um, sometimes you hear people bragging on on um, you know on the on the social medias and stuff, saying, "Man, I got 100% occupancy." I always cringe at that. I'm like, man your prices are probably too damn low. If you probably raise or double the prices, even if you had, you know, three quarters full that month, you'd still make more money, you know? It's just people don't look at it like that. That's super true. That that happened to one of the first clients I had in, in the project I'm running right now where I'm running all the KPIs and performance for them and, and, and letting them know what, where there's like space for growing. So there was this guy that, that that's in um, Florida uh, and first month, I'm seeing his insights. He started just this year, and he's like 100 occupancy, pretty much. But also, his price is getting higher. And I'm like, the first thing I look at this is, I'm like, you are just letting some money go away. Like you, you can't, you can't be just like, uh, like revamping up on both, like revenue and occupancy. Those are uh, inverse. You know, like are inverse indicators. If one is going up, the other is going down. Otherwise, you're doing something wrong. And well, he he, he just like hired the price. And of course, while I write more revenue, it, it, it was just telling them just by the numbers. It's very obvious at that point. Now, okay. Uh, let's say we're talking about Chile uh, before the pandemic, right? What would you say was a good occupancy rate to where you're getting the maximized revenue? Because I think that's a very one that a lot of people don't touch on because I'm 100% with Steve. If you're at 100%, you got to be leaving some money on the table. Uh, yeah, and I'm willing to do so because at this point right now, I'd rather have like full occupancy and leave like uh, some money on the table than being worried on like missing some nights because at this point, the, lows are so, the rates are so low that I have no space in order to like bring some things back. Of course, I'm covering the cost and having some profit. But if I want to get to good profit levels, I got to do some sacrifices. And um, from the risk management point of view, like you got to run some risk on the lower or the higher end. So that, that's what I am towards that direction. But yeah, even though I can be having some money on the, um, on the table, it's not worth the risk to figure out the exact optimal number because 
the margin is so little at this point, given all the research I've done and, and the data I have gathered all these years, that it's just not worth it to me to have like 100 more bucks in the pocket at the end of the month uh, for risking maybe not even having them for being, you know, like having such high ego, I can make it happen. You know, like sometimes you <laughs> less is more. Yeah. So, so like before the pandemic though, like where was your, where would you say was a, a, a very profitable occupancy rate before the pandemic? Oof. Well, normally average percent for, for just like the whole industry in Chile will vary kind of low, will be just 60, 65%. But uh, it was a very interesting market because it was showing uh, 50 to 60% growth in the whole industry year on a year. Hmm. Um, it was it was building up super fast in uh, in the country. So once again, it depends on the location you are. Well, I was in the capital city, Santiago, and uh, there you might see some occupancy levels on average will be varying uh, between seventy and eighty percent. Um, and I was I was sitting uh, eighty five plus with high uh, ADR, but also my unit was located in one of the most uh, one of the best um, locations you can you can have. So I, 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 if I wanted, I could have gone all the way to 100% every month. I was just playing with the rates to get the most out of it and less headaches at that, at that point. So you do this, um, like you said, you have, you have a client in, in Florida and you were helping him, you know, figure out the optimal um, uh, occupancy rate to, yeah. to make the most profit. So you do this for other people. Yeah, yeah, that's all. That's it's all about the new project, right? I'm I'm running analytics right now, uh, and I'm 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 giving I'm giving them the profit and loss statements. So um, it's now it's now getting started as a big project. Uh, as I mentioned, you it started all back in Chile when I was uh, I was just like uh, starting with this company, and. Um, it came to my mind, it will be good to run the, the engineering numbers there and starting to optimize some stuff. Uh, and it did. And then I started to, to see if there was a space to my own stuff. So I started to dig deeper and it, and it become a thing. And always optimizing until nowadays. But now it got like super well optimized at this point because of iteration, you know, you get more experience as well. And now I decided that it might be uh, a better option instead of just like expanding all the way to back home to make this for people because uh, this is high demand in the industry. And I've seen people trying to run business and you have all the professions here. It's amazing the variety of people that's going into short-term rentals. And many of them have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> um, so just give them a couple numbers. It's just good to have, you know, a dashboard with your profit and loss statements. Uh, see where your performance is missed. Uh, your performance is, uh, is, is going. If it's going up, if, if it's going down, you know, have some insights. It's good. And by someone that has, you know, uh, experience on the field, is a host himself as well. But not only that, he's a numbers guy. It's the case uh, of me, right? So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm selling that as a service to people on a B2B model because I think it's just quite interesting in order for, for, for people to actually get it right and be profitable. Ooh. I'm, I'm, 
So I'm, I'm, I'm actually currently going through a business restructure where I'm actually implementing the profit first system. What, what system or like how, how does your own system work to where you're able to dissect a business and analyze and say, hey, this is where you need to cut some fat or, hey, you need to get more units. What are you using? I'm, I'm very interested to know that. Well, I value, I value a lot the data. So um, normally when you're doing a new project, you really want to jump into like a new, a new unit, you will look into data. You will go somewhere into like RDNA. You will watch out like the neighborhood you're into. You want to check out the occupancy. You want to check out the ADR. You want to check out what's going to be the, 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 the cost for setting up, you know, and, and, and having all the, 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 the fixed cost that it actually means to do whatever you're doing, if it's arbitrage or whatever, and then run the numbers to see if that's profitable, then start with the business. I'm starting from a very specific point. I'm starting when people are already running the business. Mm -hmm. So um, in order to help them to enhance their performance, so what I'm doing there is I'm starting from their own data. So, um, well, I, I am, <laughs> I just, I just love com uh, computers and geek stuff. And um, even though it's not part of the career, I, I love databases and uh, I'm coding SQL in databases. And I'm always uh, uh, looking forward the way of optimizing the way you structure data and the best ways of, and um, doing analytics on that because um, I started my career as a data analyst um, and now I'm going deeper and I, I'm actually now looking forward to study uh, data science as a data scientist here in Germany um, because I, I, I just think it's just super interesting so going one step forward into that but now where I am I'm always looking at information um, as it should be. And for me, it's all about like having well-structured information in order to have good insights. So I'm looking at all the bookings information of the people and the cost information they have. Also, of course, I'm looking at, into some insights of the market uh, for, of course, giving them recommendations. But the starting point for them is like, how are you actually doing with what you have? What can you do better with what you have? So most, most, of the, most of this project is looking into clients' data and see what they're doing and if they're doing it right or if they're doing it wrong. So can, is, it, is this fair for me to say that you're kind of like a, a living, breathing mix of, of price labs and AirDNA for somebody? And dig deeper because I'm going into getting your costs. What are your variable costs? Mm. What are your fixed costs? And then I'm mixing that with your pricing, you know, and um, with your revenue. And what what's your what's your uh, time ahead of booking, right? Like uh, how how can you perform better in? There are just like so many indicators in the industry, you know. Okay, but. Um, Mixing all of that and then just getting a conclusion is kind of like a, a, um, a very deep analysis um, that's worth it. So you're like, yeah, like a short-term rental Frankenstein for these people. 
kind of it works <laughs> and, and so i i mean i just jumped to it because okay people start getting all these tools and stuff they pay for air dna which is expensive they pay for price labs they pay for the, the you know the the county software they pay for the you know to do their expenses they, they pay for the pms systems so if they just used you would they actually be saving money or would i mean how how would this work how does how does that happen the pricing using someone like you okay uh this is the marketing part right but <laughs> yeah i just i just want to know as, I just, as, how, as beautiful yeah. as it sounds i'm trying to make this tool actually um kind of like a, a positive cash flow for them you know like if you get the unit hopefully it uh it, it gets better for you so actually you're making more money and it's paying off by itself pretty much so it, it shouldn't damage your business on the long term. Actually, just help. So same business model as Beyond Pricing is doing. So people started using Beyond Pricing and they're willing to give up that 1% because it's actually really helping them to get more revenue. So people are willing to pay off that 1% because it's really helping you more than 1%. So it's pretty much paying off by itself. It's, and for... Because I think you touched on something really important. And actually, Steve alluded to it. People pay for all these subscriptions. You know, do you help people to analyze like, hey, this subscription isn't worth it. Maybe you should get rid of it. Because like this this week, uh, me and Federico actually, we're actually getting rid of Smart B&B because we realized it's an unnecessary cost. Is that something you do with your business? Of course. I mean, uh, I have meetings with my clients, you know, it's not about just like uh, numbers. We have meetings, we have a monthly report. Uh, we're looking at insights and they have a whole data studio dashboard where they can see their performance with uh, not only numbers, but now it's getting into more graphical interface. And well, I, I actually got the domain and I talked with my developer, we are looking towards like uh, seed capital in order to make this run on uh, web software that we're gonna be connecting through APIs directly to gather your information from Airbnb. So it's not a hassle for you to give it to me on a CSV file. So it's gonna be a full automated process. Hopefully by the end of the year, it's gonna be running like that. Do you guys have any tools you guys think you'll connect with like QuickBooks or something like that? Uh, mm, no. Not at all, and not right now. Um, there are some things that I think that they are necessary. I don't want to go out of the niche of having your like performance indicators, profit and loss statements, um, because uh, that's exactly what I want to tackle, and I don't want to get out of that. QuickBooks uh, is more for accountability, and like if you want to do full cash flows, but not only profit and loss statements, but you want to run. If you had some loans in order to like run into the business and you want to see your initial setup cost and everything, that will be kind of like a complete cash flow of the business by its name. What I'm doing is running your performance on a monthly on a monthly basis. And if you're actually doing well and if you're actually having positive numbers there or not, because that's what really matters. If you're having positive numbers there, you're going to be able to pay your loan and your initial setup. So cash flow is going to be positive anyways if your profit and loss statement is running positive, right? That's for all the industries and all companies. That's that's great. Um, so looking at this as, as someone on the outside, hearing all this, uh, you know, you know a lot, it gets confusing a little bit. And, and you know, we're talking about you know some technical stuff. 
but like someone saying, man, I, I, I can run my, I can run my own Airbnb. I don't need all this stuff. So people like that, well, you know, what, what are some of the things that like just the regular everyday person is, uh, what are some of the biggest um, cash flow mistakes are they doing? What, you know, money mistakes are they doing? And um, yeah, what are the, some of the biggest things that they don't account for that's just destroying their profits? Oof, yeah, I've seen, I've seen several things, even like at the, at the first company started working at even uh, like I've seen different kind of practices that I'm like, okay, let's just correct this right now. Uh, the one that's super common, and I know that this is going to touch into many people because it's just like super common to see in the US is that, well, um, your cleaners are getting paid by the hour but you're gathering a fixed cleaning fee. Mm. People are not doing any calculations on that and they're not, they really have no idea what to charge on a cleaning fee and they're just like doing some estimations and many of those estimations are really bad because if you discovered someone threw a party on your, on your unit, even though you're not allowed whatever, um, that's gonna cost you more hours and, and people have underestimated the hours so um the cleaning is not paying by itself that's that's the most common thing you see and you're like cleaning should be paying by itself so if if you're charging whatever fee of cleaning per reservation let's say you're having five reservations a month right and you're charging 100 fee a 100 dollar fee you will you will be able to gather uh 500 us dollars but maybe you're spending more of more than that because you are underestimating the, the hours of, 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 of your cleaning. Uh, and I've seen that. I've seen getting getting $500 is cleaning and people are not even looking at the number. They're, they're just like easy peasy at their home. They're like, that's fine. I'm getting 500 uh, on cleaning. How much are you spending? You're spending 600. You're losing 100 there. I know it's not that much, but it adds up at the end of the year, you're losing more than a thousand bucks. Um, and that's how you have to take a look at that. And, and those, those small tweaks, as, as you're saying, like smart BNB might not be worth for some people where it might be worth for some other. So um, it will just add up. There are people that are just like freaking out, filling their homes with like cameras or super high tech. Uh, just uh, their profit is just not profit. is just negative numbers because they're just like adding so much stuff that it's just not sustainable anymore man you 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 touched on a lot right there that is so true um now, now you touched on cleaning fees because i've heard people say they're paying too much in cleaning and uh sean rakajic uh from airbnb automated he actually just dropped a dope video on the three methods to pay cleaners so i want to know from you what is the best best method to pay cleaners is it by the job per hour or how, how would you calculate like hey this is how you should pay your cleaner and be profitable it's quite super simple, actually. The, the best practice that's always going to result to you, like, like many people will say like, oh, normally in this, in this place, you will just like charge this or do that. I figure out that cleaning fee is something that guests are really willing to pay. They really want to get into a clean place. 
uh, and they are really willing to pay that cleaning fee. I've seen cleaning fees of 150 bucks and people are really paying for that. It depends on the unit, of course. You're not charging that on like studio that's super small on uh, low demand city, right? Um, but that same studio is not going to charge that much. Uh, it's, it's not going to cost that much in terms of like hours to be clean. So it's proportional to the size. So uh, people are willing to pay the cleaning fee. That's the bottom line. And uh, that said, you, you can even run a, a personal test and gather data for one or two months because gathering your data is like very uh, a, a key aspect of doing this well. Like you can run a test, do the same estimate that people are doing, but just like really get into it and turn your head into it, run some numbers and see like, okay, how much is it really cost me to, to start this? Um, if you know it well, you will know better estimates. For me, when I was setting up my units, I knew how much it costed to get them clean with my partner. It was my partner's wife. They're just like cleaning everything as well. And uh, that's how many people are starting. They're most of them, uh, sorry, not most of them, but uh, there is like a not minor amount of like couples that are running this as a side business for, for their, you know, like um, income and um, cleaning is running on themselves sometimes or where they're starting. So they know how, how many hours it will take more or less, but you can have good estimates depending on the size of your unit. So you run this estimate and you charge a proper cleaning fee that you might think it will cover. And then you add, of course, an error. Like you always do that. Well, maybe I'm just geeking to numbers, but that's just common sense for everybody, I will say, right? You run the error always. Let's say 10% more than that. And you see if that covers. If that's, that doesn't cover, you're just like going up until you get to the point that you're actually sustainable. And you have to have that error space. You cannot only be charging and have that 500 cover the 500. You have to have 700 cover the 500. Actually, you got to get some profit out of the cleaning. Mm. Man, I'm on need to up my cleaning fees and <laughs> lower my cleaning rate. So, <laughs> I, I like that, though, because that, that's one thing I was kind of struggling with, like when I was like, okay, let's cut some meat, cut some fat here is do you up your cleaning fees and then what how's how do you hey how do i make this profitable which i'm profitable a little bit but how do you make it so you know you can make a profit by paying the cleaner maybe per hour and man this is some golden stuff you're dropping over here so yeah and 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 that's a one-time fee you know like it's not gonna it's like one, one thing is your average daily rate and when i'm calculating these things i'm not mixing them up one thing is your full revenue. So when you're having your payout on your Airbnb, you're getting paid by the cleaning fee, pet fee, whatever extra fee you have on top of the uh, the revenue for nights, right? Discounted your host fees, right? So um, I'm separating all of that stuff because it's super good to have them separated. One thing is the full income and you have to have separated and calculated by the booking, how much are receiving for that booking specifically for cleaning fee? If you have an extra guest fee, which I have for my units, um, maybe you have you are accepting pets, but you have that extra fee. So you separate all the incomes, and then you are 
only then you're able to see if you're actually covering the cost of having that uh, whatever fee, if that's costing you more or not. And that's super important as well. That's a big, that's a big one right there is the pet fee. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people are allowing pets cause oh shit, I'm gonna get 50 extra bucks. This, this, um, you know, uh, this, this booking, if I allow her to bring their dog now, I'm sure you've analyzed all the numbers on, is it worth it to allow pets just to get that 50 bucks? Is it not worth it? You know, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on allowing pets and pet fees? Um, well, personally, I'm a dog lover. Like, I'm nobody without my little one, you know. <laughs> Everybody's a dog lover nowadays. But set aside that, I'm I'm not allowing pets on my place because this is like, you know, friendships and family and business. You, you don't mix up stuff. Like, for me, business is business. And, you know, like, personal life is another different stuff. Even though I love dogs, I don't allow them in my units because you don't know um personally i don't know who these animals are and uh, they will depend on the education of their owners so if they're bringing a dog that's really like screwing my furniture and that that can cost you more than the pet fee itself like if they break some of your furniture and you don't get their the logistics there at time you might be having some vacancy and that will really cost you and uh, chances are that you are not seeing that money back so i'm just like i'm not allowing that and actually, a few months ago, no, it was like one or two months ago, I discovered that one uh, one of my guests, they just like dig in a little a little poppy there and, and I charge him a high fee through Airbnb support because it's just forbidden. It's not in my house rules. And I got some money out of that. I think it's fair because I'm not allowing it. And it's public before you're doing the booking. And this is a business. So uh, I run it like that. Uh, I, I guess, in other words, there must be something too with the fact that for hundreds of years, uh, 99% of hotels didn't allow pets, right? Of course, that's that's because <laughs> of something, you know, like it's just not worth the risk. I have a question for you on that, with you not allowing pets. Um, let's say something breaks, like let's just say someone can get insurance and covers the pets or whatever. Do you feel like if you don't allow pets, you remove a value add that you could you know, potentially make money on. Yeah, of course. It's a trade-off, right? Always. It's always a trade-off. You you are going to be losing some space on your occupancy uh, because there's part of this market that's going to demand that. And there's got to be someone there to supply that. And there you have the people that will be able to supply that and have the pet fee. Um, I know some people that they are charging really high pet fees and as they have like front cameras uh, on their front door that they're not like looking inside the, the, um, the unit, but it's just to like pretty much um, put things in a safe context, whether they are saying like how many guests are actually getting into the house, if they're bringing pets or not, if they're running parties, you know, for safety. And I think that's fair enough because if you're not really having any that's hidden and it's outside the, the place and it's for safety, and actually, that can really save you on a trial if things get really bad. Um, and if you have really, um, a really high fees, I think that might be a, a yes, but only if that's a high demand. 
So if you're in an area where you're having like families coming over and your unit is allowing like this family niche of the demand, yes, that might be worth it, but only then, right? And you can make sure that people are just not like uh, screwing you because most of the guests, let's be honest, you know, like they, they want to avoid paying that fee. So if you don't have that camera, if you're not there, you're just going to sneak in a little fluffy one and you won't notice and they might just like blame the child that it was something got broken. I don't know. Okay. That's understood. I was wondering because we just started allowing pets a few months back and it's been profitable, um, but we have them take pictures of it and send it to us before they, you know, allow them in and we've uh, actually shout out to our guy Mike Brown he actually showed me these cool kennels that are actually like uh, decorative kennels that you could buy and so they, they have a pet kennel when they get there so yeah I was, I was just wondering if, if it's worth the trade-off but yeah now now is okay let's let's give some let's do some practical tips to people our listeners out there uh, what are some of the what are some of the costs like, let's just say, for example, they leave out, you know, snacks, they leave out waters, they leave out a bottle of wine, they leave out, you know, chocolates or something like that, or whatever, the fancy toilet paper. What are some of the costs that really don't bring back, you know, that as much revenue as they think they would? Where could they cut and save money and it really wouldn't affect nothing? Okay, that's super, super good question. In my, you know, like, in my experience, that's, the only thing I can tell you being super humble, but um, I realized that when I started the, the when I started this, this whole journey on my own short-term rentals, I was, I was quite fancy receiving the guests. They were having, uh, you know, like being in Chile, you cannot go there and not have a Chilean wine, right? Mm. We got one of the best wines of the world. So like uh, you were coming as a foreigner, and having a bottle of wine as a present will be like, oh man, welcome to the country, right? Mm-hmm. And that that gave us a lot of nice reviews. But now we're looking into local demand. And it's like now here being in Germany, like you can just get very cheap and nice beer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So people, people like local demand, they, they won't care if I am actually bringing them a, a bottle of wine or not. They're just like digging into the ADR. So um, now I took that out and I haven't seen any impact on that. That, that was an added value when I was having most of my traffic being foreigners. Now it's not an added value anymore. So I took it out. So uh, cost will vary and might not bring you so many good things. At that point, I was charging a uh, way higher ADR. So it was worth it because five-star reviews you know, when, when someone's gifting you a, a, a wine, if my cleaning lady just forgot something very small detail, they will just give me on the private review, like, oh, that was for, for uh, forgotten or something. You know, there's always space for errors when, when you're running this business and it happens even in best hotels. But they were just like leaving that out in the comments very privately because when you're receiving them with like wine and stuff, it was super nice. And they were trying to be nice back to you. So it was paying back at that point. But at this point now, like a local wouldn't care if I bring them a wine or anything. It's, it's not adding value anymore. And it's just a cost that I'm not willing to run anymore. So I just took it out until the foreigners are coming back. And now they are coming back with the wines as well. So it will vary and depend. You have to adapt to it, I guess. 
Ooh, that's that man. That one, that was a good question, Steve. And yeah, I'm happy you brought that. That, that. That's a really good answer. Like you said, notice, hey, the, lo- the locals don't care about the wine, but foreigners do. Okay. Now I have another question because you said you'd get good reviews for bringing the wine. How much does a good review really cost? Hmm. Well, it cost to the wine at least. <laughs> it, was, it was totally worth it. Like I had the best reviews. Like people were calling me back at that point and were saying like, oh my gosh, like is this wine for us? Thank you so much. This is one of the best Airbnbs ever and blah, blah, blah. That was like super good. Um, most, most, of, most of the traffic was from Brazil and Brazils were just like crazy about Chilean wines. So it was just like a super good pack, of course. Uh, and you can get the most out of your country, whatever you have, like if you're whatever in Switzerland, you can just do a small detail of a chocolate, whatever, you know, you just have to add the value wherever you have it there. But um, it will just depend, I guess. But yeah, it, it was worth the, the wine because with those five star reviews, I got the super host really fast. And then it got to stay with a very high uh, average daily rate. So it was paying off. Now, uh, speaking of super host, what's the difference in um, profits between someone who's not a super host and someone who is? Um, I had to deal with that personally because I was taking off super host um, like uh, a couple months ago. And that was because um, I was left some really uh, two or three bad reviews. The only ones I had Um you know, like some guests, okay, let's just make it clear. Like some of them are just assholes, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Karen's, yeah. Right? Like, do you guys agree? Yeah. Oh, of yeah. Of course. Yeah, before, you... before you finish that thought, a guest, we had like this crazy, you know, rainstorm going off. Parts of Dallas, you know, lost power. He wanted a free night because he lost power at his unit. He wanted a free night. <laughs> because of an act of God. <laughs> no, no, where, where, now, where did this guest come from, Steve? Where, where did he come from? Like, what uh, do you mean? Like, what, what booking platform? Where OTA? Or... Uh, uh, Airbnb. I should have known. I'm gonna let you go ahead. Go ahead. He, he's staying for two weeks, but he said, oh, my, my wife can't work at home because the power's out, and I can't walk my dog because it's raining." What the <laughs> hell? I didn't. <laughs> And so I'm like, you want a free day because something that God did. Yeah, I'll give you God's number. How about you clear it up with him? Anyway, sorry. Sorry, Bruno. I had to vent a little, man. Speaking of. No, that, that, that's okay. Guess. But yeah, one of this, right? Yeah. Uh, they, they call them the same here in Germany. They're, the German word is Ashlock. Ashlock. You, you, can, you can tell from the word. <laughs> Anyways, these are everywhere. Uh, it wasn't the exception back in Chile, you know, and uh, typical uh, South American culture, super cheap. They want to get the most out of the buck. Well, I get that. That happens everywhere, but especially there, it's kind of like a culture, you know, mm. negotiating is saying different. Well, <clears throat> so whatever is not there, uh, it will be uh, a bad thing. So one of these girls, it was a girl. That's why I'm saying girl. It's not being any specific but it was you know it's just telling the facts Karen. so this girl uh, she gave us a really bad review it was kind of like a one star thing super bad because we watched the futon on a professional uh, service and um 
it wasn't totally dry yet. Mm-hmm. And we told her that um, time ahead. And if and we asked her, are you okay with this? Uh, or, we, or we should be uh, available the next day. So we blocked that day and then you're coming the next day. She's like, no, that's fine. No problem. She gets there. Two hours later, she's like, the food is still not dry. I'm like, <laughs> I told you, it's not going to be dry. We already addressed this. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do? No, I, I just think it's like, uh, I thought it was going to take like half an hour or something, but it's been two, three hours and I want to like see it and use it. And, you know, and we're like, it's a trade-off. You agreed to this and it's going to be fine by just like a couple hours and then tomorrow. But then I, I offer you as well to not get this night and you agreed to that. So what, what do you want me to do now? She's like, you're getting a bad review. And <laughs> they thread you and they do it. <laughs> did did, did I, she threaten you on the platform? Because I hear you can get them removed if they do. She was on the threat. phone. She was on oh, the phone. That, that's really bad because if you haven't read it, actually, that's uh, the only way to have a bad review uh, removed from the platform. One of the policies is that if you have uh, an open thread that's written, you can screenshot or something and send it to the support. And this is for all the hosts out there that are listening. You can get that bad review removed if you have a guest threatening you on having you on a bad review, whatever the fact is. If it's a threat, you can have it removed. Got so okay, it was on the phone. I couldn't have it removed. And it was really bad. And I had, I'm not going to dig deeper into any story, but this was one case. And I had three or four of these cases, very specific. It was just like 0.1 uh, points down when the assessment of the super host was going mm. on. And I'm like, what is the only indicator was the t- overall review rate, which is insane. It's like 4.85%, something like that is super high. And I was like 0.1 below and boom, out of super host. Mm. And yes, I was seeing less occupancy. Now I'm, I'm getting it back. You know, it was just like this three month period and now I'm good to get it back right now because we're doing a good job there. But being in this like place where it's like low demand and having these kind of reviews with bad guests because you're lowering your ADR is just super hard. I guess the guests have no idea of how hard for uh, us hosts is to really run this business. Um, and they have to kind of like acknowledge that they get what they pay. And when they agree, don't be assholes. It's just like, it's just super hard to get everything going on well. And people are just people everywhere. But yeah, it hits you when you're not super false anymore. It really hits you. And people have no idea about that. Only you know on your pocket. And you have to just like lower ADR and, and it hits you. I'm going to have to run some financials on that one. That's a good one. I always wondered, is it more profitable being a super host? Um, but one thing I want to ask you something, because you said the guests threatened you on the phone. And what I'm about to say, a lot of people don't agree with, but it's worked well for me. I, I don't talk, I don't answer guest phone calls. I don't have people doing that. Like don't answer their phone calls, only talk to the, through the platform. Do you think that's a good or bad thing for reviews? And do guests feel like, you know, maybe they're being left out in the cold? I don't have many guest phone calls either. So how about, and I'll let Steve answer that too, Bruno, and I'll let both of you answer that. How do you guys feel about that? <laughs> you go first, Bruno. Okay, sure. Answer, because I'm interested in, in Steve's um, uh, answer. But, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a geek 
uh, of the numbers. Of course, always looking uh, for 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 the best number. I'm always digging into reviews, and they are separated by a category. And I'm always uh, taking a look at communication because reviews you can build them up with different stuff. One of them is communication. So uh, sometimes I really make sure that my guests are like very comfortable. For example, when I'm having Brazilian traffic, I speak Portuguese, so I call them personally in their native language to welcome them and give them the instructions. That always gives me back a five stars communication mm -hmm. review. So I will say that it's really worth uh, the risk pretty much because uh, the, 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 the really headaches that I have had is just like very punctual but it's worthy to really have that communication rates up to talk to them on a friendly manner because um, most of the guests really, really appreciate it. Some of them, some of them, they really have no idea even to like message through the app. <laughs> Let you go, Steve. <laughs> man, I, I answer the calls, man. I answer the calls and I just, I'm just used to that. If if I know a guest is struggling with something, I, I'll I'll answer the phone calls. And I just, it it's interesting because you know when I I was out of Airbnb for a while, I remember because they, they shut me shut my houses down because of the the bans, and then I got back into it. But when I got back to into it, I had you know local was running is running. I still have those two units with local, and so I had a management company, and they answered the phone calls if they needed to you know talk to them and stuff, and um. But every now and then that a phone call would make it my way. And I, you know, I try to help him as much as I could, you know, and it was just, just to be helpful. And I, and I, I think I can talk to people. Okay. I, I don't know. I've never been threatened over the phone. That's not, <laughs> I don't know how I would handle getting threatened over the phone. You know, I might get a little, little gangster on them, but, <laughs> but I, I, I'll answer the, especially I look at the phone call. It says it's from Ohio and I'm like, Oh, I guess they're from Ohio. It's probably them, you know? And it's usually just something trying to get in the unit or can I park here or something. It's simple stuff. I've never had one call me and, and bitch me out and say they're going to leave me a bad review. So that's, I know, different philosophies. I like how you, you that, that both work, you know? You get everything down and writing and stuff like that. Have you ever got complained on that, that they don't answer the phone? No, our communication is pretty high. Okay. Well. But like, I, I do now, now, okay. I do like, uh, I send in a couple automated messages hey, if you need to reach us, reach us through whatever booking platform you book through. And usually they'll just go through the app. But I, I kind of indicate it twice, like right at the confirmation of their reservation and then again on the morning of check-in. Mm. So it's kind of like one of those things where you kind of got to hint, hint at it and keep hinting at it and then they'll, you know. But mm. it, it's interesting because I like the way you look at it too. Like, okay, if I answer the phone call, you know, and it builds that personal relationship with them as well. Yeah, and I heard a cool quote from Emo, Eric Moeller, on an email he sent oh, saying, you know, okay. would you, yeah, Emo, um, would, you give, if, would you give a bad review to a friend? And I know what he was going with that. And I didn't, I didn't know the email. Oh, shit. <laughs> hit, hit the microphone. Um, I, know, I know where he, he was going with that. He's like, you know, when you like, answer a phone call, talk to him, you know, be nice to him, you know, handle whatever issue quickly. And it befriend them in a way it goes oh would you leave a bad re review to a friend and i know for a fact that people out there 
that do that, befriend them, they, they still get bad reviews sometimes. <laughs> There's just some assholes that don't care and they're still bent on leaving you a bad review. They expect the they expect you to wait on them hand and feet and all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm gonna touch on something on that. You know the easiest five star reviews I ever got? <laughs> What's that? The ones where they the ones where I was house hacking. Oh yeah, you're you're their buddy. Yeah, yeah. It's, those are the house. easiest ones. So yeah, that, that's sorry to get off topic, Bruno. But yeah, those are the easiest five stars I ever got. <laughs> one uh, thing that, I re- that was that was fun. Yeah, yeah. One thing I really want to ask you, Bruno. All right, you mentioned that one star review that killed that knocked you off a, a, um, a super host status, and I've been there before too. Like some, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't we we, we don't want to like to talk about that too. Much. We do. We've talked about it on the show, but um. When I know there's, you know, it's the the science to it and the crunching the numbers, but can you give us like an estimate when you, when you have, how many reviews, like good reviews do you have? Plus, you know, that one or those two killers that, that knocks you out of super host. And then um, when is it worth it to just scrap that Airbnb altogether and start a new one, a fresh mm-hmm. new one with no reviews and what's the profit differential? Well, um, it it really depends. Uh, it really depends on, on on how you're doing stuff because because there are some breaking points. You know, like um, if you're going below, um, let's say four, like you will need to worry um, because you're you're running on an algorithm that's showing you on. It's it's all about uh, uh, search engines pretty much because Airbnb it's a search engine as a business as well, mm. and you are competing with other business to be on the first page. That that that's simple as that, right? And you oh. want to be there. So so first thing when you hit the market and you're there, they give you a they 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 give you a boost as a new as a new unit Mm -hmm. so you are a little bit more equal and you're not starting from zero so they're showing your property a lot and you're actually in those results uh and then you have to from there starting building up your reputation so if you're getting your first reviews five stars and so on as it happened with my units i I was always in in incognito vpn you know like super geek checking out where are my units they were all in first page and I'm like, okay, that's super cool. Um, and it started, uh, it started changing depending on, 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 on the numbers. Um, and it's really fast. Like you will be amazed. You can be four point. Uh, I was five at some point and then I dropped to like 4.98. And like one of my units started being on first page. <laughs> it wasn't like second or third. And it, and it really hit like the views I had. You can run on, there are some like really um, uh, bad performance units, uh, uh, sorry, performance uh, numbers on Airbnb on the performance tab. But one that I really appreciate is views because you can, you can see how much like uh, attention you're, you're getting or that unit or as an overall. And um, that dropped drastically with just, um, a very tiny uh, drop on the score. I'm talking about like decimals here at this point. And then I realized how much of a search engine is. So this is not going to vary and like anywhere. And the more volume you have, the more competitive the market it is. 
So US being one of the biggest, if not the biggest, it will be crazy. So me and Chile dropping like that by just two decimal points, that will be insane in the US, right? You can be easily like 10 pages off. Mm. Uh, so uh, a specific number, it will depend on the market as well and the volume of the market. But going before four, that that that's not something good. You are not getting noticed. So um, if you if you can take that back up, that's fine. But if it's just going down, maybe it might be a good idea to start fresh. Hmm. All right. One of the last questions I wanted to ask for the day to settle the argument once once and for all. What is a more profitable Airbnb, a one-bedroom or a two-bedroom? That's a debate. (laughs) (laughs) What's that? I ain't never heard of that debate. Go ahead. (laughs) That's that's quite interesting question. Uh, Also, as as all these questions, like, sorry to to put it down like this, but always the answer is, like, it depends. Uh You know, like, and that's whenever you are you're asking a guy that's running on numbers, they will tell you that. Like, it's, it's the hate answer. You know, everybody hates that answer. It depends because it doesn't give you like the, wow, one, one, uh, one ring fits them all. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just not like that. When you're coming to business, you have to really do some analytics and, um, and, and, and accommodate to what's really working. But um, I saw that. I saw that when I when we started with this division of the short-term rentals in this company, we were doing one uh, one bedroom um one bedroom units, and that was calling the attention of executives, businessmen. Uh, these were specifically aimed towards that uh, specific demand because they were in the financial district, one bedrooms, super nice, modern, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, they were killing it, but. How much can you charge for a one bedroom, really? Whatever you are, not that much. The two bedrooms were killing it, and even three at some were 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 actually killing it in revenue, but on high demand months. So the sweet spot was two bedrooms, always. Hmm. Um, you will have to study that it, on the market, of course, because you're in Orlando, Florida, where when pandemic is not there and all the families are just traveling there, probably you will have plenty of demand for three bedrooms and you will just do it better there. But if you are in like um, New York or Houston, Texas or financial center of LA, maybe like a very well located one, uh, one bedroom will kill it as well. But still two is going to be sweet spot for most of the market. Uh, are you, do you guys agree? <laughs> well, you go first, Micah. Oh, two bedrooms all day. That's all day. Biggest, yeah, that's the biggest price jump you'll ever notice is uh, from one to two. Um, and you can also sometimes, if you set up a two-bedroom in a heads-and-bed situation, you can charge for what you can a three. But if you charge a three, you know, a three for a heads-and-bed situation as well, you know, you can charge a little bit more because you're now going to be more than less targeting families. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the one bedroom to two bedroom model is the biggest jump in revenue you'll see. Two and three bedroom, not so much, but you can't, you will be more profitable on a three bedroom. Uh, but yeah, that's my opinion. 
Can I interrupt before you answer, Steve? I, I want to dig into something very important here. I track my average uh, amount of guests that I have per month. It turns out to be somewhere between two and three, and that really covers the, the, the two bedrooms uh, need. And those are the units I have are like two bedrooms because of that specifically, because I tracked this down from the company I was working for before. And I realized that because I got that number. And actually, if you get into AirDNA or whatever other platform, you will realize that most of the market is, um, uh, the demand of this market is mostly for two bedrooms. So mostly everywhere, that should be the answer. Mm, I like it. Yeah. Um, I'll answer it by, by saying something that just happened to us. Um, our just rentals, you know, me and me and Federico's company, we, we just, we just onboarded a unit in Houston. We're going to manage it for, a, um, somebody in Houston, a client in Houston. And so we just put it on there today and automatically for this month, they got a five day booking. It's a two bedroom, two bath, you know, and over a thousand square foot. And, and they just got a booking for five days, a family coming through town to Houston for $1,748. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I looked at Federico, what the hell are we doing with one bedrooms, man? <laughs> Two bedrooms, target them to families all day, mm -hmm. and you're going to get that money, man. I was like, God, dog. So that, that answers my question. Today, I, I was just, okay, we ain't messing around with one bedrooms no more. Yeah, that, that, really... And this is my thing on one bedrooms. I think the niche in one bedrooms is to target insurance clients. That's where it is. If you want to do one bedrooms, like to, the way to maximize it is to, to target insurance clients. That's about it. Uh, two bedrooms all day, two bedrooms and up. Like even like the houses that I buy, they're usually three bedrooms. You know, I, I go the three bedroom model. Um, and I've passed up two bedroom houses because I don't think it's worth my time to fix up a two bedroom. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. yeah, and it has to do with occupancy as well, because um, mm -hmm. as major of the demand is going to be for two bedrooms, you are uh, ensuring yourself more occupancy. Therefore, you can be more flexible with your average daily rate, which is what I'm doing right now on Pandemic Now, because I've seen many short-term rentals go away because they don't run numbers and they are not uh, making sure that they can actually be flexible with this or they even don't know how to do it. So. Uh, it's very important to be on the high demand part in order to um, be more empowered of your business. Mm. Mm. And you get on that front page because most people are one bedrooms out there, right? Yeah, but it's more competitive as well. Nice. Oh, man, this has been a good show. You know, I, I'm glad you hopped on, Bruno. You, you've been dropping some knowledge on us. Um, so I, I just ask, where, where can people get a hold of you to just, you know, you can go over, I don't, I don't know how, how, exactly how your business works, but, um, or if you want to tell what your, you know, what your costs or your fees are or whatever, if you want to, if not, or you just want people to reach out to you. Yeah, where, where can people find you? Yeah, well, um, just, just, just to say something about it, I'm, I'm not a marketing man. Um, but my marketing, uh, I think, and I do believe that in, in those business where people are like, well, this is actually working, you should give it a try. So uh, I'm running a trial of uh, free 10 days. So like you see how it works. Um, it can extend depending on the amount of your like 
of your units, you know. Um, so if you're a, a very interesting client, it can run a little bit more than that. But um, um, normally, just get the free trial to see all the insects insights you will see uh how you will be able to like handle this information without a hassle you'll have someone doing the calculations for you uh and um a full interview to see how i'm going to be dealing with this like profit and loss statements you have customized kpis if you want so and um a full breakdown of your cost and uh performance uh dashboards with uh graphics and stuff very fancy uh, and modern. So that's pretty much the business about. I Hopefully I want it to run like that, as I said, like if you like it, for example, you can just like tell people actually this is working or maybe I've been trying the business of this guy. We talked some episodes ago and actually it's like helping me. You know, that, that's why I wanted to go like, um, and uh, people can find me. Uh, I'll leave you the links, I guess. Maybe you can put it on the description below on, on YouTube or maybe on like uh, I don't know somewhere else on somewhere else on the podcast, so they can reach me out. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm 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 not having that uh, speech specific for the marketing. I just wanna wanna show how how it's like, and uh, most of the things that we have talked today are um, based in numbers, and that's how I want people to run the business, and that's the most secure way to be actually profitable to if you're like running based on numbers, like if you have data driven decisions, probably you're going to do better. And and that's what I'm aiming for, um, towards to. Okay. So let's just say someone listening on the headphones, they're at their computer right now. They, hey, tell us where to go, Bruno. Where the hell do we go? What's what, what website or where do they go? Well, actually I got the domain, but it's not up as I, uh, as I'm saying, uh, I'm, I'm just receiving people on, on my, uh, facebook page right now okay um would they be okay to reach you on your linkedin page yeah that's okay well it's just under bruno villaseca you know on linkedin i just just connected with you that's all i was asking oh that yeah perfect and then uh the the facebook page is called toto it's t-o-t-o then space s-t-r as short-term rentals and then uh, uh space software so it's total SDR software and they can just like drop me a message there. And then from then and on, I will just take uh, care to onboard whoever that's interested in getting this trial in order to, to see if they, if they find it interesting or worth it their time or not. Cool. Total STR software. I dig it. Yeah. Thanks for hopping on Bruno. It's been a great show. And we will uh, put the his links in the show notes and on the on the YouTube page. So, um, any closing thoughts, Micah? Oh no, man, Bruno, definitely thank you for coming on, man. You've been a wealth of knowledge. You definitely dropped a lot of good gems about increasing your revenue, uh, getting bad reviews moves removed. So, uh, I think we'll have a lot of li- listeners learning a lot from this episode. Thank you for coming on. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure myself. And hopefully in the future, if you're interested, as I'm developing a full software on the, on, on the website, uh, uh, it might be interesting maybe to dig deeper about this one once it's all uh, up and running, connected directly through the APIs on Airbnb and booking.com, you know, a more complex software. That might be interesting to discuss about uh, when time comes. So um, uh, I'm just open to that if you guys are interested. And yeah, it was great having you uh so sorry uh being here with you guys 
And uh, thank, thanks for thanks for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, yeah thank man. you. All right, Bruno, uh, we'll catch right. you on the other side. Peace. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Man, that was Bruno Viaseca. <laughs> I think I said that right, right? So, yeah, Viaseca. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. They don't. They don't. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. We had him on. Like right now, I'm in the middle of. Uh, going into profit first, putting that in my business, man. And it's, it's been, it's been real interesting, you know, just actually just taking a deep dive into what you actually pay for and what you don't need. So like all day today, I was talking to Federico a few times today and we were just talking about like getting rid of smart BNB. I'm like, I don't think it's worth it anymore. You know, if you got your Porter, you know, it takes care of the messaging. Just trust that to do it. And I, we tested it and it works perfectly fine. So yeah, one thing I will tell people when you're looking at your profits, make sure you're not double paying for stuff. That's mm. what I will say. Yeah, because if you, you have, have a examples, like I, I had your Porter, and I also had Smart BNB. Your oh. Porter will do all the messaging for me, and they have the direct book inside everything I need. I didn't technically need Smart BNB, so we're trying to have Smart BNB gone by Sunday, and I've already nice. done a huge chunk of it. So we're getting rid of that. I got rid of some subscriptions I didn't need. Man, and by the way, if you have guys have not read the book Profit First, that's a game changer. <laughs> game changer. Got the buckets. Got the buckets. Yeah, yeah, get the buckets. Yeah, smaller plates, man. He said Americans start eating more when they, then they start making the plates bigger. That... Like, ah, yeah. He, was, <laughs> he said, yeah, if you give it a smaller plate, you'll eat less. So I was like, ah, okay. Yeah, so yeah I've, I've heard him. He's hopped on like Bigger Pockets and some other podcasts yeah. I like to listen to. He's powerful, man. He, he he has some powerful business models. Yeah, and and it's and it sounds cool. He said like people, a lot of people are afraid to take profits out of their business, right? Mm-hmm. He goes, the, you got to get these these victory, these you know these these wins, these rewards to you. Otherwise, you're just you're gonna burn out from doing business because you, you got to look. If you take out the profit first, boom, and you can see that profit growing. It just gets keeps you motivated too. It's, it's yeah. psychological too. Yeah, man. Yes, I realized that you got to get paid for what you do. You know what I mean? And it's very important. It's keeping you motivated, you know, and then it also increases the profitability of the business. So then if you already took your profit out and you got to make what's left work and it ain't working, you got to increase sales, bro. You got to increase them KPIs. So it's yeah. a dope book. Man. I think one important thing he, he talked about is the tax bucket. Yeah. Because <laughs> people get to the end of the year and say, oh, I got to write a check for $50,000 in taxes, you know, but if you have it in the tax bucket already, it's no sweat. Facts, man. It's been, a, <laughs> it's been like great reading that book, dude. Like that book, man, like we have a whole, me and my guy, we have a whole masterminds on that book. Like, and just like, hey, what's your caps? What's your taps? How do we increase it? Are you meeting your goal? So yeah, man, that caps and taps, like you're, current allocation pro, uh, projections and your target allocation projections, man, dude, this is some deep stuff. Jay, Matt Mace, Jay Massey is a huge proponent of that book and I see why. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, what were you going through, Steve? Man, you got guests trying to cancel and get free shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I alluded to that. Uh, well, that That's the problem, man. I mean, this guy, uh, he came through with the with the big booking right away, right? Is one of them in the, the Green Dream and uh he he booked it's a nice you know it was like it was over a fifteen hundred dollar booking you know pretty good for the green dream right for like i don't know 10 days whatever it was and um and so the first day he complained about he saw some ants 
And so, okay, you know, I sent some, you know, I went to Amazon, sent them freaking those little ant ant baits. I said, unscrew the thing, stick it wherever in the window where you saw the ants, and they'll be gone in a a day. And so, okay, thank you. Uh, He complained about some other stuff. He started, like, nitpicking, like, left and right. And he was telling, and so the the girl from you know my management team over there at a local she was hey what do we do about this what do we do about that i'm like and i'm like it was a big booking you know and i'm like man i'm like i said you know this guy's gonna be wearing us out right and she kind of like laughs it off she's just a va and you know wherever and and so so i just didn't even think about it and then the rainstorms came like the next time and you know we had those that big storm that came through right thunder lightning rain and it knocked out power in, in a lot of parts of Dallas, you know, mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of houses were out without power and, and apartment complexes. And so he's just going crazy because he's like, well, we're here in the dark with no power. And so she said, what do I tell him? I said, well, tell him that I talked to the Encore and the power is going to be out till two o'clock. OK, I told him. And then they sent me text updates. OK, the power's going to be out till 10, <laughs> 10 o'clock. And he just lost it. Well, my wife's supposed to be working here. Um, can you give us a free day for our troubles? Uh, I was like, what? First, I was pissed he'd ask for a free day for something like this. That out of our control, you know. I had people in, in Snowmageddon and Ice Mageddon, whatever that thing that was that went through Texas, that weren't asking for a free day. And they were without electricity, without power, within the freezing cold and 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 of course i'm scrambling to help them but still they didn't say Can, we need a free bit free day or free you know see that that's one of the things like you got a big fifteen hundred dollar booking right and that that's one of the things we just talked about is it like you get a big huge booking now you get the high-end the two high-end guests now he wants everything it's uh, perfect or you get the guy at the bottom who's just going to destroy the place so it's like I think that's one key performance indicator you got to find too. Where is the sweet spot for the perfect guest? You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Well, so I just thought that was humorous. Yeah. And, I, and I settled down from my anger and I just I said, you know what? Tell him I'll give him a, a free day on his next day. I thought that was a good, mm. that was a good, you know, and, and most of the times they're not going to come back, right? <laughs> most of the times they're he not going to come he back. He might know that's what you're alluding to. This guy. <laughs> This guy might come back. Hey, I want Christmas. Nah, no, that ain't happening. Uh, <laughs> I might not even be, a, you know, my lease is coming up, so he won't even get his free day. Anyway, so it just, um, that was my, you know, olive branch that I offered to him. You can have a free day on your next visit. And I guess that calmed him down or whatever. But no, nah, man, I just, there's some people you can't please, man. I'm not expecting a good review. I don't care. That, the, you know, that, that Airbnb page is already jacked up from, um, you know, management decisions so anyways other than that yeah um business is going strong it's growing a lot of people want us to do some management for them and um the biggest you know the biggest thing is uh getting more units getting more units and so that's our hunt we're hunting for more units coming up with creative ways to do that and we will talk extensively on the next show about that about how to pick up more units because that's that's what everybody wants to know everybody trying to get into this right how to pick up more units how to pick up more units I got to hear you what you got to say now. Anyways, yeah, we'll, we'll leave the fans on a, on a cliffhanger right there. Yeah. Um, where can people find us, Mike? Find us on IG. Email us at live, let thrive at gmail.com. Hit the subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, 
And uh, thank y'all for continuing to listen to us, our uh, edutainment, as some people call it. And uh, yeah, continue, thank you for continuing to listen to us. And uh, we hope we are providing value to you to for you to grow your business or start your business. I feel better after doing a show. I feel like, I feel like we got to, you know, we get a lot out in this show, man. We vent. You talk, you, you talk to people who understand what you're going through. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we'll see you on the flip side. We are out. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live, Let, Thrive. Be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of Airbnb and all that entails. Bye-bye.